Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here, Friday morning. Can you believe it's the weekend, January 27th? Thanks for joining us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. We are, of course, walking through the book of Matthew. And sort of our practice here, it's our kind of our new practice from what we used to do. What we're doing is studying the passage that we are going to be covering or preaching on for that following Sunday at Four Oaks on Sunday mornings. And so in this way, we're not just reflecting on the passage that was already preached and sort of cleaning up uh, different theological details and application points. We're actually, hopefully, Lord willing, learning to study the Bible for ourselves by walking through the process of exegesis and interpretation together with this idea that this would hopefully better equip you to study the Word of God for yourself. And so that's what we're doing. And this week we've been in Matthew 3, uh, verses 1 through 12. And because this is Friday, we want to try to bring everything that we've been talking uh, about together thus far into sort of some sort of cohesive whole that we can kind of get the essence of what God wants to do with this passage um, in each of our lives. So let me read the passage again. We'll dive in. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wrote, wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. So we get to the culmination of this passage, and what we've seen this week is that John the Baptist, coming in the spirit of Elijah, has been calling people to a new way of life, a new way of thinking, a radical reorientation to who they are. In fact, in essence, he's calling them to faith, faith in the coming Messiah. And it it's kind of falls under this rubric of, of repent, to reorient, to reorient the very fabric of one's being to this new reality of the kingdom of God. And of course, this kingdom that Jesus is coming to establish is not an earthly kingdom, a political kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom of the heart. And we've seen how there's been two radically different responses to this call to repentance. On one hand, you have the crowds who have been confessing their sins, 
being baptized and submitting themselves to this coming reign. On the other hand, you have the religious leaders who weren't coming to be baptized, they were coming to observe this baptism um, because in their minds, they didn't need to be baptized. They didn't need to be cleansed. They did not need to repent of anything. They were God's chosen people. And, and so the responses of these two crowds uh, or these two groups of people is what's in view here, I think, in this passage. And last time we left off talking about the essence of baptism, that it's not um, a physical cleansing that the people need. It's a spiritual cleansing. This water doesn't remove sin, but it's a symbol of the cleansing that God must do and has done in the heart for those who have faith and repentance. Which brings us to this point. So you've heard me oftentimes say, who is the hero of every story, of every passage in the Bible, if we read it correctly? And of course, the answer is Jesus. We would be amiss and we would run aground in our interpretation, in our hermeneutics, if we did not see how all of this is pointing to Jesus. And for this passage, it's, it's very clear um, how that is to happen, okay? If you look down... Um, in verse 11, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Now that word mighty, it also could mean superior. So what John is saying is that this repentance that I'm calling you to, this cleansing, is not done by me. I'm just the messenger. This is all fulfilled and carried out through the work of Christ. He is the main point here, right? In other words, John, as a prophet, could call the people to moral repentance. He could call them to turn their life around, to clean up their, their stuff, to... Um, to come before God, to, to, to make some resolutions. But if Jesus is at, not at the heart of this, then they are doomed to the same fate of the Pharisees, right? Um, hardened hearts that aren't changed. What makes this call different and unique is the call to trust in Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the good news. And here he describes the work of Jesus um, in, in a pretty stark, dramatic way, where he talks about it's through Jesus that he is going to usher, that he is going to, to engage in a spiritual baptism, okay? Now, this physical baptism that, that John was doing to sim symbolizes the spiritual baptism. And what is the spiritual baptism? Look in verse uh, 11. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, what, what is the essence of this? What is the essence of the work that Jesus is doing? And again, I think the Holy Spirit is the symbol of, or a metaphor, not a, Holy Spirit's not a metaphor, but, but we're talking about the work of the Spirit that gives life, and the fire is the work of the Spirit that gives judgment. It is God who is both the um, originator of the life and the judgment. And here, to, to give us a picture of that, John gives us an agricultural metaphor. 
And here he talks about the winnowing fork and the threshing floor and gathering wheat into the barn. Let me just say, I am not a farmer. I've never grown anything with any great success. Um, although I did say in a Holiday Inn Express last night, that's a little inside joke. Other words, I, I, I don't know the essence of these agricultural metaphors other than what I can read in a commentary, but, but here's the general idea, okay? Because there were no machines or anything else except to, to, to prepare the, the wheat, the harvest of, of wheat to be used as grain, to be made into bread and such, there, ha there was a process by which they would, would use to separate the wheat from its outer covering or shell. It's kind of like you don't eat, you don't eat shrimp with the shell with, you know, um, with, with, with the shell on the outside. You don't eat wheat with the husk. And so there had to be a process, right? And this winnowing fork was in essence, they would pile this weed into a barn and they would begin to toss it kind of like a tossed salad into the air. And that what would ostensibly happen is that the wind would separate the chafe or the husk or the unedible parts of the wheat from the heavier edible parts. And you would end up with two piles, okay? There's a lot of work, hard work, of edible wheat, unedible chafe, and that the chafe would be tossed into the fire. The wheat would be preserved and kept, okay? Now, in this metaphor, the Holy Spirit is the winnowing fork. The Holy Spirit is the tool that threshes, that separates. And the Holy Spirit is going to do one of two things in a person's heart. Either the Holy Spirit is going to find receptive ground by which a harvest of righteousness is produced. There's a cleansing, a purifying, okay, a, a repentance that happens there. Or the Holy Spirit is going to bring judgment. So, so this idea of fire was a very common metaphor, of course, for hell, for judgment, for those sorts of things. And in essence, what John is saying is that the work of Jesus is going to do one of two things. Either it's going to produce repentance and a changed heart, or it's going to bring a judgment. And this is not a temporal judgment, right? Um, it says here, the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. And, and, it's just kind of a scary picture and metaphor if you think about it. You know, a lot of times we don't like to think about hell, but, you know, Jesus says more about hell than anyone. And there's always this stark contrast and foreboding between the life that Jesus gives and the judgment that Jesus brings. And John is simply saying, and this is, let's, let's circle all the way back now to what John says in, uh, the beginning in verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the call that goes to everyone. That call uh, makes a claim on everyone, no matter who you are. And John's saying that, that that call has come. The work of the Spirit is here. The question is, will you be the recipient of divine grace and a transformed heart and a cleansed conscience, or will you be someone who is hardened like the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Will you be someone who's the work of the Spirit does not find fertile ground, but 
It's just, there's just sort of chaff, chafe, however you want to pronounce it, leftover husk that's burned into a great fire. That's what they would do with this leftover husk from this wheat. They would burn it. It would be a great fire. So do you see how we've now come full circle in this passage? Um, John, Matthew has included this story about John because not only because he's wanting us to be prepared as readers as to the work that Jesus has come to do. He has come to purify, to cleanse, and for those who reject him, to bring judgment. And all of this is, is, is couched in this idea that the kingdom of God is here. Not a, not a political kingdom, not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And that every person is going to have to wrestle with this newfound um, understanding that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has appeared and is making this proclamation, what will we do? What will you do, Four Oaks? What will I do? And I think as we point towards Sunday and we're unpacking the message, then we'll be able to kind of thread through some application points to help us know how and why and, and in what context we are bringing ourselves under the lordship of King Jesus and asking him to work in this powerful way in our hearts. All right, that's where we are. We'll see you Sunday as we unpack this message. And then Monday, we'll be back looking not at the baptism that uh, John was administering to the crowds, but in fact, the baptism that John um, administers to Jesus himself. And we'll have to Give us pause there, right? Why, why would Jesus need to be baptized? And so, but that's going to wait till next week. Hope to see you Sunday. Let me pray. Lord, have your way in our hearts. Holy Spirit, Lord, would you produce a harvest of righteousness um, in the depths of our souls? Show us our need for you, our need for grace.